Number one, I feel great. I do. I feel great. I feel strong. Uh, feel healthy. Sound terrible. But here's my prayer. Is that as we go on, and that as I speak more and more, it'll loosen up and sound better. So pray with me that that's the case. This morning, if you saw me, I hope I smiled, but if I didn't say anything, please don't be offended. I've been saying as little as possible all morning. Alan taught Bible class. I've been doing everything I can not to talk today so that I can talk right now. So please don't think he didn't even say hi. I was thinking it, but I couldn't do it. I just smiled. Second thing, because it's going to be a little difficult for me today, it's going to be difficult for you, and so I'm going to ask you right here, right now, work hard. Work hard with me. I'm going to do my side, and I'm going to go less shorter than normal. You'll be glad about that. But in the time we go, I want you to give me your attention. Work hard with me so that this will be worth our time, because I love preaching. I love sharing the Word of God. And I don't want to let the time go by. So work with me. Next thing. Let's be praying for Daniel and Tiffany Gaines. They leave Tuesday for Africa. So put that on your docket. Write it down. Be praying for the Gaines as they go for a couple of weeks to go do the Lord's work in Africa, in Tanzania. Be praying for Daniel and Tiffany. And the last preliminary thing before we look at 1 Corinthians 9. I love Alan Jones. He always talked, I don't know if I've ever heard a lesson that he's given where he didn't talk about a job that he's had at some point. Because he's had like 50,000 in the past and he's got about 6,000 now. And he's still willing to help me. And he's still willing to serve you. Even this minute, when I walked up here to preach, he walked over and said, look, I'm wearing my microphone, I'm ready. I love you, Alan. I appreciate it. Thanks for serving us. 1 Corinthians 9. We've been looking at the fact that, that Paul is seeking to bring unity in a place where there's so much division. And in chapters 8 and 9 and 10, the thoughts center around this one idea of food offered to idols. That seems strange to us, but it's something that was very much a problem for them, very much a, a situation that was current and prevalent, and they needed to know, if I've been brought out of paganism, all my life I've been going to temples and I've been offering this meat that's been offered to sacrifice, and as to sacrifice to idols, and now there's this meat being sold in the marketplace. Used to, I didn't think twice about it. Buy it, take it home, eat it, no problem. I'm invited to special occasions and special dinners at the little building that's kind of attached, the annex that's attached to the temple there. I'm invited to these dinners. What should I do? Used to, I went, no problem. What should I do? And so Paul's addressing how they are to, to live their lives as people who have given up the world. They've given up paganism. They've given up idol worship to embrace the true and living God. They're now seeking to be disciples of Jesus the Christ. How do they do that? 
Well, some, some are demanding their rights. You look there at chapter 8, verse 9. Look at that, 8, 9. Take care that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block. This right of yours, clearly they're saying, what about my rights? What about my rights? What about this? He says, be careful. Don't let your rights become a stumbling block. Paul's going to make mention here in chapter 9 of a lot of different things that he's giving up. Certain foods he's willing to give up. Marriage. Compensation for the, the work done. He's willing to give up all these different things in order to make the biggest impact on the church there in Corinth. Look at verse 1. This is 1 Corinthians 9.1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Let me give you sort of a, a translation. I'm free. Aren't I allowed to make choices? I'm an apostle. Don't I have authority? I've seen the risen Jesus. Don't I have special status? I'm the one who taught you the gospel. Don't we have a special relationship? You see, he said, there's certain things that I've done, certain places I've gone. I should be getting special treatment if I demanded it. But note what he says here. Look at verse 2. Let's read a bunch of verses here together, starting at verse 2. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, that's Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? For who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Or who plants a vineyard without eating any of the fruit? Who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? It's written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, is it the oxen that God's concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Don't I have the right to make certain demands? Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. I have not made demands on you. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of these rights, nor am I writing at this point. I'm not writing these things to secure any such provision. For I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground of boasting. Okay, 
He set the stage for us. And all of these things that he said, I've given up this, even though I have the right to demand things. I've given up that, even though I have the right to demand things. And it leads him to finally get to the point where he asks, in light of all these you know, potential earthly benefits that he's given up. Look at verse 18. What then is my reward? What do I get out of this? If I've given up all these things, certain, you might say it this way, certain earthly creature comforts. If I've given up all those things, why? What's my reward? What do I get out of it? Well, that's what we want to consider today. What is Paul's reward for his selfless life that puts Jesus first? And guess what? I think you can already make the connection. You and I should be asking the same thing. What are the rewards? What are the blessings that the Lord promises will come my way if I am willing to be selfless, if I am willing to make sacrifices? Paul's reward for his selflessness should be very similar to our reward for selflessness. So let's start. What's Paul's reward? Number one, a clean or a clear conscience. The conscience is an incredible thing. It can warn us when we're approaching danger. It can reward us when we've made good choices. But it can also be our conscience can be so poorly treated, so abused, that we can deaden it, not destroy it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 makes that very point. Paul says there are some who have, by the way they've been living, have seared their heart, their conscience, like a hot iron. In other words, certain things come and go, bounces off and doesn't affect them anymore. It's actually, let me listen to this. It's a blessing when you feel bad about choices you've made. It's a blessing when you feel bad about words you've spoken. It is a travesty. It is terrible for you to go through life doing terrible things, saying terrible things, mistreating others, and not having one single pang of conscience. That's scary. Blessings from God whenever you feel bad, have shame and guilt over something that's been done. One of the aspects of the abundant life that Jesus promised us in John 10.10 10, is living a life with a conscience that works. But not only living with a conscience that works, but being able to live in such a way you live with that conscience clean and clear. That's what we're striving for. And that's what Paul had. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. Let's read a couple. Verse 12. Make reference to verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. Listen, but we endure anything rather than put a stumbling block in the way of the gospel of Christ. In other words, he's saying, I know that in my time there with you in Corinth and then since then, I've not done anything that would be counted as putting a stumbling block in front of you. You can sleep well at night when that's the case, isn't it? Drop down to verse 16. 16, he says this, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but it's not of my own will. I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul's conscience is clear. He did not put a stumbling block in front of them. And he knew that if he had stayed quiet, if he had not shared the gospel, he then would have had this, this heavy, dark conscience. 
But he preached. He shared the gospel. He told them what the Lord wanted him to tell them. And so he, he felt great. It reminds me of what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. We won't go back and read it, but in Jeremiah 29, maybe make note of it. This is that time where Jeremiah had said, I got so sick of preaching. I got so sick. I would go here and I'd go there and people would stop up their ears. People would want to hurt me. People, it was so hard. And he said, so I said to myself, I'm not going to talk about the Lord anymore. But you know what happened? He said, it was like fire in my bones. It was welling up inside of me. I couldn't stay quiet. And so I had to go and tell others about the Lord. He knew he had a job to do. Paul knew that the Lord had expectations of him. Paul knew he was entrusted with stewardship and he wanted to fulfill those responsibilities. A weight is lifted off of you when you know you've done your part. It feels good to be part of a team and to know you've pulled your own weight. It feels good to go to sleep at night knowing you've worked hard and fulfilled your responsibilities. And we know an even greater weight is lifted when you've been faithful to the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let me ask you this. Is your conscience bothering you today? Has your selfish, me-first attitude kept you from doing the Lord's work? Is there somebody out there that you need to forgive and because you haven't, it's weighing on you? Is there someone that you need to go to and beg forgiveness from and because you haven't, that's weighing on you? Do you need to plead with the Lord for a clean heart and a clear conscience? Go over to 1 Peter 3 real quick. 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3, beginning at verse 15. 3.15, in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Notice this, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. The good conscience you have because two things. Number one, you lived in such a way that you know that the words being spoken of you are lies. And when you were asked questions about Jesus, you told the truth about Jesus. And so it says, when you've done those things, when you've defended and given an answer for Christ, and you've done so with a clear life, you're going to have a clean conscience. Drop down to verse 21. But you can't do it on your own. You have to have the blessing of the Lord. Here's what it says. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I can't save myself. Lord, I can't cleanse myself of my own sins. What I need, Lord, is for you to wash me. What I need, Lord, is for you to rescue me. And so when you've been baptized into Christ, you have come up into that brand new life. You stand before the Lord saying, thank you. All the weight's been lifted. I know I'm cleansed. I know because of the blood of Jesus, everything's different. And now I stand before you differently. Thank you. What did Paul get, gain by giving up some rights and putting others first? It starts with a clear conscience. But it's also the fact that he knows that some souls were one. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19. I'm free for all. I've made uh, myself a servant to all. I might win more of them. 
So even though I've got all these freedoms, I give up some freedoms. Why? In order to win some people to Christ. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. Now listen, not being outside the law of God, but always being under the law of Christ. In other words, just because I'm hanging out with some Gentiles doesn't mean I all of a sudden started doing sinful things. He said, I'm still at every moment living under the law of Christ. That's why, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might uh, share with them in the blessings. Paul was willing to give up anything and everything if it meant somebody would obey the gospel. He would gladly take less. He would even take a beating if it meant a soul would be saved. This is the attitude of Jesus. Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 12.2. He endured the ugliness and the pain of the cross so that he might bring many sons to glory. Romans 15, verse 3. Christ didn't please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In Luke chapter 15, at verse 7, then again at verse 10, it says that there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. Is there joy in your heart when a sinner repents? What is it that you might have, have done? What is it you might have given up? What selfless thing might you have to endure as long as it means some soul repents? What did Paul gain by giving up some of his rights and putting others first? Well, he gained the fact that some were saved, some souls were won, and the kingdom was thriving. There's also this, number three. No matter what, even though maybe it was the case that sometimes, somewhere, some didn't listen, some didn't change, some didn't repent, some didn't obey the gospel, God was still glorified when the truth was preached. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were told up front that the people wouldn't listen. Isaiah 6.10, Jeremiah 7.27. Same thing for Paul. In his accounts of his conversion, whether it's chapter 9 or uh, 22, you see there that Paul says the Lord told him, Ananias, one of the things you're going to tell him is not only how to be saved, but you're also going to tell him that when he goes out to preach for me, he's going to suffer. You're going to tell him that people aren't going to like it, that they're going to hurt him and bash him and make life difficult. Tell him that up front. Look here at chapter 9, verse 18. What's my reward? That in my preaching I might present the gospel free of charge so that I might not make or I might make full use of my right in the gospel. Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul was going to preach and just preach and let the Lord do the rest. Whether a thousand souls a day were saved or once every now and then he was going to keep preaching because even one soul mattered what did paul gain by giving up some of his rights and putting other people first well, god was glorified every time the truth was preached and we have to keep that in mind as well if you've got some friend that you've been studying with some friend that you've been hoping for praying for dealing with every time the truth is presented whether they change their life or not, God's glorified. And so keep on being faithful. But then there's this. 
What's my reward when it comes to this? Well, it could be divine blessings. All spiritual blessings are found in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. But look at what he says here in these two verses, 23 and 25. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share. With, I want to share in the blessings too. 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it, the athletes do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He's longing for that imperishable crown. He's longing for that life in heaven with the Lord forever. He's longing for that place where there's no sorrow and no pain. Listen to this. What are some of the divine blessings he says that right here, right now can be mine? Forgiveness. Doesn't it feel good to be forgiven? Hope. Knowing that there's something better than what's right now. Knowing that there's a time in the Lord's presence forever and ever where there's no anxiety, no tears, no nothing negative. And so one of those blessings could not only be forgiveness and hope, but also peace right here, right now. Knowing that that's my life with the Lord is that I've been forgiven and he's my destiny. What did Paul gain by giving up some rights and putting others first? So many divine blessings. That brings us to this last thing. Let's read these all these verses right here at the end and we'll quit. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? That's the way it works in a normal race, but in the race of the Christian life, this race is unique. Because all of us have the potential to win. In a normal race, only one gets the crown. But in the race that he's speaking of here, every single one of us can be awarded the crown, as it were. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, one of those crowns of leaves that very soon would turn brown and disintegrate. But we're seeking an imperishable crown. So I don't, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after perishing to, or preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So in other words, he says, because of the confidence he has, he runs with purpose. He's not aimlessly wandering about. A person of confidence moves with purpose. They know where they're going, they know why they're going there. And he said, this is not arrogant. This is not ugly. This is power because of what the Lord has done. This is confidence in knowing who Jesus is. And so he now, he says he runs and walks and moves with purpose, with confidence. And he, has, he didn't have fear of disqualification. Now he says disqualification is a thing. It's something that other people might have to worry about, but he's not worried about being disqualified. And you shouldn't be either. If you're walking in the light as he is in the light, you have nothing to fear. And so he says in a place like 2 Timothy 4, 8, henceforth, in other words, I know there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's not arrogance. That's believing the promises of God. The Lord will award to me on that day, and not only to me. I'm not the only one running. I'm not the only one that gets the crown, but to all who have loved his appearing. So what did Paul have to gain by giving up some rights and putting others first? Confidence that the Lord would keep his promise. Confidence the Lord would report, reward him with an eternal crown. So ask yourself this minute, if today was the day the Lord called, what would be my reward?
Have you been selfish or selfless? Have you been one that says, I do all things for the glory of God, or I do all things for my own glory? Paul said, I have all sorts of rights, and I've given them up for the beauty and greater good of the kingdom. And so now I know divine blessings are mine, and I live each day with confidence. How do you live? If there's any way that we can encourage you or help you this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?